Well, my name's Jose, and it's so, I'm thrilled to be with you, and we are going to continue in our series called Emerge Brighter. Welcome to our online family as well. Thrilled that you're joining in with us. And we are looking over about two months at an obscure part of the Bible, admittedly. There are two books of the Bible called Ezra and Nehemiah. Originally, they were one book. In our English Bibles, they're just kind of cut in half, but it's one long, sweeping story of how God has brought a group of people just like us, who love him and follow him from dark to light. And we are looking at this together, not as an exercise of just reading the Bible. We're asking the honest questions. How do we step out of this season? 18, I was reminded earlier in our first gathering, like someone came up to me and said, it's not 18 months, it's 19 months. I'm like, thank you for counting. 19 months of strangeness. How do we step out of it not just a different people, but a people more passionate about Jesus, more involved in his work in the world, and a light to the nations, a city on a hill that can't be hidden. That's what Jesus said his people would be. We want to be those people. How? Well, uh, we looked last week, the beginning of Ezra, one, two, and three, the first three chapters. Remember, we're just doing an overview. We're not going verse by verse, so I encourage you, read them before you come. Today, we're going to look at chapters 4, 5, and 6. For those of you planners, we're going to do chapters 7 through the end of the book, chapter 10, next week. And then we're going to dive into Nehemiah. But we're asking ourselves piece by piece, what does God tell us about how a people can go from darkness into freedom and to grow into the people God created them to be? Well, it starts with the heart, right? We saw last week from the first three chapters, God stirred the heart of some people. But remember, rebuilding is, is not easy. How many of you are in the middle of a reno in your house? Home Depot is selling out of stuff because everyone's stuck at home, so we're rebuilding things. And how many of you know sometimes you plan for it to take an afternoon and it takes a week? You start a project, you're going to finish it. How many are willing to be honest enough to say, I've got an unfinished project at home right now that, that should be done by now? I have two, okay? So I'm the first one. Rebuilding isn't easy. You start with passion and a plan, and then you get going, and you're missing a piece, or you run out of time, or you realize that YouTube video wasn't all that helpful, and then you call someone who's a pro, right? We're, it's not easy work. How does transformation begin when it comes to rebuilding lives? Forget about your reno project. We saw from Ezra 1.5 last week. Notice, then the family heads of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites Everyone whose heart God had moved. They prepared to go up and build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. It starts with the heart. Remember, God touches the heart of King Cyrus, who isn't necessarily a follower of God as we know it. He had many gods, many kingdoms, many temples. But the God who created it all stirs his heart to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem and send people back with the resources, not only did God open the door for a people that were in exile, suffering to go back home, God provided the resources to do it. And we know that about 50,000 people, their hearts were stirred and they were moved 1,500 miles, folks. Walking. It took them months. But by faith, God had said, 
It's time for us to reestablish worship in God's space so that the world will know who the creator God is and that he is, he's the way, the truth, and the life. And so they start with a dangerous journey. They get there, and we saw last week, they rebuilt the framework of the temple area and they built the altar and they worshiped God and there was joy and weeping. They realized this is gonna be harder, but they were thrilled about what God was doing. And that's, I, I think, sometimes where we find ourselves at the beginning. God's at work. It's a new city you're living in. It's a new relationship you're enjoying. It's a new job. It's a, whatever it is that's new often comes with excitement. And you're willing to do the hard stuff at the beginning to launch it. But what happens once the project begins? Obstacles. There isn't a project without a problem. That's just the way life works. Relationships have challenges and jobs have challenges and definitely building out a home has challenges. Let me just ask the key question. If you have your community group study guide, you could download, download it online. If you're online right now on our website, if not, you could have a print version here. We asked a key question that we're asking you to talk about this week with some other people in this church. What have been the biggest oppositions you've faced in the last 18 months? Because I didn't do my counting. I didn't realize it's 19 months, okay? So forgive my inaccuracy. What are the biggest oppositions, there's not been one, that you've been facing. This is something we ought to talk about. We're going to circle back to that at the end. But what I want us to do today, in light of the question of oppositions, because there will always be a problem when God puts something on your heart to do, let's see what happens as they, as they continue the construction journey. Uh, Ezra 4, we're just going to read a little bit from 4, a little bit from 5, and I'll summarize Chapter 6, verse 1 of chapter 4. When the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the exiles were building a temple for the Lord, the God of Israel, they came to Zerubbabel. Remember, he's the leader. He's a descendant of King David. He's, he's a man in charge. Enter the heads of the families and said, Let us help you build, because like you, we seek your God. And we've been sacrificing him to him since the time of un pronounceable name, king of Assyria, who brought us here. But Zerubbabel, Joshua, and the rest of the heads of the families of Israel answered, you have no part with us in building a temple to our God. We alone will build it for the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. And the peoples around them set out to discourage the peoples of Judah and make them afraid to go on building. They bribed officials to work against them and to frustrate their plans during the entire reign of Cyrus, king of Persia, and down to the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Okay, so the people begin, they worship, but the temple's not done. So they started the project. Remember we saw from last week uh, that focus is important, prioritizing worship prioritizing time in the presence of God with God's people really matters. And the first thing that they rebuild is the place where they can meet with God. And so how do we emerge brighter? Well, it begins with our attitude towards God and worship and knowing him and loving him. And when we get first things first, when we reprioritize Jesus in our life, then we're, we're, we're set up to continue the thing that Jesus wants to do. Okay, so they begin but we notice 
they face opposition. Two distractions, I think, we need to remember. The first one we're going to talk about later when we get to Nehemiah. I'm just going to name it now. And then we're going to focus on the second one today because you see it in chapters 4, 5, and 6. The first thing we need to remember is the opposition that we face. Write it down. The opposition that we face, where God is at work, there's always going to be opposition. There's always going to be opposition. And by the way, I, I, I skipped over it inadvertently. If you go to the end of chapter 4, what are you going to see? When they put pressure on this group of people, the rest of chapter 4 are these letters that kind of verify. God had opened the door for them to build and they shouldn't stop. But you see at the end of chapter 4, the final verse says, The work of the house of the God in Jerusalem came to a standstill until the second year of the reign of Darius, the king of Persia. So it went from a slowdown to a total standstill because of the opposition around them. Now what was going on, real briefly, there were people living in the land when they came back out of exile and moved. It wasn't empty. There were people living there. Some of them were the descendants of the kingdom that had overthrown the tribes of Israel uh, a century prior. And so th that uh, government populated the land with people who were devoted to many gods. So in essence, when they came back to build the temple, there were people living there who said, hey, we follow your God, but they also followed the other Assyrian gods. They didn't keep God's word as holy, God's space as holy. They weren't fully in allegiance to what I would say in our term, to Jesus. It was Jesus plus this and Jesus plus that. And so when God sends them back, God's presence is holy. There's no one like God. And so what got them in trouble centuries prior was not paying attention to God's holiness, God's beauty. So the group comes back and the opposition is subtle. Hey, we're your countrymen. We're your friends. We want to partner with you. We want to build together. And God gives them wisdom in this particular case to see them for who they really are. They're not really in line what I would say, with the way of Jesus in our language. And so they wisely say, no, we can't have you. Here's why. If they would have had them join in the construction project, you know what would happen? Their influence with their many gods would have impacted the worship of God's people. And yeah, there would have been a structure, but it wouldn't have been fully devoted to the one true God. And it would have been a mess. But God gave them wisdom on how to deal with the opposition. Notice, they don't hurt them. They don't push them away. They simply say, no, this is what we're called to do. You're not invited to join. Sometimes we need to be in that space. You know, there are some people who may say, I'm totally for you until they find out what you really think about Jesus. What's our response? We, we need to be thoughtful on who we have long-term partnerships with. If you're starting a relationship, if you're, you know, you're, you're entering in, you're thinking this is going to be long-term, especially if you're looking towards marriage, I would tell you to really think about where this other person is in their allegiance to following Jesus for themselves. Because if it's Jesus plus a little bit of this, plus a little bit of that, uh, you, you like to think, oh, no, no, but I'll just, I'm just going to move closer to that because I, I'm going to win them over to follow Jesus alone. And that can happen. It has happened a few times here or there. But I've been in too many meetings with a, a crushed couple. And you realize in the end, um, one spouse was was clearly following Jesus passionately. The other never really was. And, 
and you wonder how the relationship got sour and you realize, wow, there was trouble. Well, in a larger sense, in a different way, in a larger sense, God's people realize, no, it's just going to be us. We're going to ask God to give us the power to finish the job. So there, there's the external opposition that they face. I, I don't want to look at too much on that other than to highlight verse 4 again. Then the people around them set out to discourage the people of Judah and make them afraid. So this group says, we want to build with you. The moment they say, well, no, we're going to do it ourselves, what do they do? They show their true colors, right? They show who they really are. And they bribe officials to work against them and frustrate. And they do this for a long, a long, long time. How long? How long does this construction, not just this construction work, but the building and the prioritizing of God and his work in the world, how long does it slow down for? Well, the second thing we need to be careful of and I want us to think about in our own world and get real are the excuses that we make. So there are gonna be at least two distractions. We're gonna face opposition from people. We'll look at that for the rest of Ezra and Nehemiah. Read it. There's opposition everywhere for the rest of the journey. The opposition doesn't happen seasonally, it happens consistently. Whenever God does a work amongst his people, there will always be opposition. Isn't that encouraging? No, it's not, but it actually is when you know it. If you're waiting for everything to be good for you to follow Jesus, you never will. If you're waiting for everything to be all together so you go wholeheartedly devoted to him, you never will. Because there will always be an opposing force whether it's the enemy, Satan, or whether it's demonic powers, or whether it's the influence of friends who don't even realize it, but they're not following Jesus, and they're pulling you along, and they're tied, there will always be opposition, my friends. Always, always, always. But let's focus on the excuses, because what you see here is they could have kept building. How long is it from Cyrus to King Darius, and when they reignite this program? 16 years. I want you to let that sit in for a moment. I mean, I've got some delayed projects right now in our house, but I, I can say with confidence they haven't been 16 years of delay. So it starts with a month because you're busy and then starts, moves to two months because the timing's not right. And then how many are honest enough to say you, that you've delayed at least a month or two on a project that should already be done? Yeah, we, we, we all have done it. Well, their delay slides into a total shutdown and it could happen to any one of us. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. How do they go from the stopped work to a reignited passion to complete what God had spoken? Verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 1. Now Haggai, the prophet, and Zechariah, the prophet, a descendant of Edo, prophesied or, or declared God's word to the Jews in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who is over them. And then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, son of... And Joshua, son of Jehozadak, set to work to rebuild the house of God in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, uh, supporting them. So what we get in a summary statement is actually explored in detail in two other books of the Bible. So if you're interested this week, if you want to see the full color, uh, there's a prophetic book called Haggai and Zechariah. They show up later in the Old Testament but they detail what God had spoken to them, to God's people. And this is happening exactly at the time of Ezra and before Nehemiah. Now, I want to look for a few minutes because 
the message God gives Haggai to the people is so for today. It's so for now that you may see yourself in it. And so Haggai chapter 1, starting in verse 2. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house, speaking of the temple, remains a ruin? Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Underline this. Give careful thought to your ways. You planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, you never have your fill. You put on clothes, you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Isn't that graphic? They've given everything to eat, but are hungry. To drink, but are thirsty. To be clothed, but they feel like they need more. They're trying to accumulate. Remember, they had lived for 70 plus years, a generation had lived and suffered in Babylon. And now God brought them to the land where he leads and rules. And so they're trying to reestablish their life just like you. And yet in life, if we're following Jesus seriously, we're going to realize there's always going to be opposition to the good thing that God's wanting to do in and through your life. There's always going to be outside forces working against what Jesus is doing. But more than likely, it's the internal forces that are at work, that can slow down what God wants to do. And so all we want to do is make the most of the pandemic. What we want to do as a church is make the most of the shared experience. We've all suffered. We've all been knocked upside the head. We've all been confused. We all thought we knew the answer, like originally, hey, we'll do three weeks of online and we'll be back. Three weeks. I literally told our team, enjoy it. Because I'll shoot the videos midweek, enjoy three weeks at home, just jumping online in your slippers and your hot cocoa, and it's all going to be all right. It's going to pass. And, and, and there's all sorts of opposing forces outside. But it's the internal ones we need to be careful for. Look at verse 4 again. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in panel houses while, while this house, God's house, remains a ruin. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. In, in all your career planning, family planning, and all your whatever planning, let's not forget the most important thing. We belong to Jesus. We belong to Jesus. And if you belong to Jesus, then it's Jesus' work in the world that ought to be the primary thing. Love me with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is the way of Jesus. And so it is easy in life to get off track and distracted and end up making excuses. Are there things right now that God wants you involved in that you've let go by the wayside? Things that he started in you, through you, and for whatever reason, good reasons like, oh, COVID messed it up, or our fa- you know, we added to our family, or our business is exploding. But are there things that are so important that God initiated that you and I have started making excuses why we have slowed down. That's the people of Israel. The primary purpose for God setting them back was not for their own house. It wasn't for their family estate. It was because God wanted to reestablish 
the place of his blessing that the whole world would receive Jesus. You see, at the temple in Jerusalem, Jesus would walk in and he would fulfill what no priest could fulfill. He would lay down his life as a sacrifice just like was pictured in the sacrifice of birds and lambs and grain. The whole reestablishing of God's priority was for the coming of Jesus. And in the same way, what you and I are to be about is Jesus' work in the world. Yes, our career matters, our family matters, our recreation matters, our rest matters, our joy matters, our fulfillment matters. All of those things matter. The thing is, when we get our priorities mixed up, we find ourselves wanting. And that's exactly what happens here. Keep reading. Verse 7 of the same chapter. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Pause. When God repeats himself, pay attention. And he says it multiple times. Go up into the mountains, bring down timber, build my house. Finish the temple. So I will take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Who did? God did. Now you need to understand this isn't always the case. Some things happen because of the work of the enemy and we, we, we are left without and it's because there's opposition from the outside, from the opposition to God and the opposition to God's people. Other times it's just the foolish things we've done. We Don't blame God. Don't blame your friend. Blame you. You did it. And whatever a person sows, that will they reap. And those who sow to the sinful nature will reap destruction. Those who sow to the Spirit will reap life. Don't blame God. Don't make excuses. In this particular case, though, God says, because you were so focused on building your house, by the way, God had sent them with timber. Where did the timber go? It didn't go to the temple. Where did it go? It went to their homes. They took the resources that were provided and with good excuses, used those resources for their own pleasure. Why, declares the Lord Almighty? Because of my house, which is in ruin. While each of you is busy with your own house. Is that not convicting? Therefore, because of you, the heavens have as well their dew and the earth its crops. I call for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, which by the way is, was all of their wealth, and everything else the ground produces on people's livestock and on the labors of your hands, on your 401k, on your bank account. God says, in this particular case, I love you, my people. God is not mean and he's not vindictive. He's loving and caring and right. And so have you ever like given something to someone, especially if you're a parent or a grandparent or an uncle or aunt, and you gave it to the child, you were super excited, but you realize like, oh, wow, this didn't go the way I intended. Like that gift made them selfish. Rather than being a sharing, kind person, they became a hoarder of like, don't, mine, 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 mine. And, or, or they didn't have time to do their homework. Why? Well, I'm, I'm enjoying the gift you gave me. And so a good parent in those moments where they realize the blessing didn't turn out to be a blessing, what do, they do? What do you do? You, you pull it away for a season and say, whoa, let's get our priorities right. You're never allowed to be disrespectful in this house, period. You know? So No. No means no. Until you get it right, I, I want to bless you. And in this case, God says, all the things you were chasing after, I made it unsatisfying. You never had enough. 
And I think the same could be said for us. As long as our priorities are off, as long as we're chasing our dreams at the expense of building God's work and God's kingdom in this world, again, what your house matters. Those things matter. But when they are the priority and we make excuses for why we can't focus on Jesus, when we make him second, third, and fourth place, you ever find yourself in a spot, Lord, if you would just do this, I would be able to. When, 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 you, when you do this, I will. Lord, I, you know, like, if you just give me a little more resources, I would be more generous. If you, if you just carved out a little more time, I would go to and invest in. And I think we know that it doesn't work that way, but we're surprised when we find ourselves realizing, I found that the most generous people that I know were generous when they had nothing. And by the way, that's the Bible at work. Those who are faithful with little will be made faithful over much. Those who can't handle $10 will not be able to handle $10 million in a way that honors Jesus. And so, so the priorities matter. Now, here's the, here's the good news. I, I went to Haggai to read, and I'm not going to take the time to read chapter 6, other than to say, and read it on your own this week, when they heard the word of Haggai and Zechariah and Zerubbabel, they did the right thing. They just needed to be reminded of God's word. They didn't say anything new. They already knew these words. But when they were reminded, they were cut to the heart. Here's how it comes out in Haggai. But then you see the same thing in Ezra. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people, they feared the Lord, they honored, they honored God. And here, here's the good news. In this season where we've all been disrupted, we have the opportunity to hear the word of the Lord again. And when we hear God's word, we can follow in the pattern of these friends, and we can obey and honor God with, with our lives. They had every reason to stop, except the reality is, it was excuses. It was excuses. They, they were making all sorts of reasons why a project that should have been done uh, took an extra 16 years of delay. And, and you read in chapter 6 of Ezra, you realize they finish the temple and they celebrate Passover and they honor the Lord. And uh, God used Zerubbabel, a leader, to help bring them together and and, and say, okay, you work here and you work there. And, and they manage the project. And he, he used the prophets, these spokesmen, Haggai and Zechariah and others, to encourage them. Uh, if, you, if you read Zechariah and, and Haggai, you realize they joined in the work. They were in it together. It wasn't like you work and I'll sit. They all prioritized and they assembled the resources. And in just a couple of years, in four years, they finished what took 16 years of delay. They got the job done. And I think the lesson for us is that the same can happen in our lifetime. Friends, we've never been so disrupted together as a people, but we can whine about it, we can moan about it, we can make excuses about it, or we can allow this moment to define our future, both as people, as families, and as a church. I, I believe that the greater days ahead for 26 West Church are in the future, they're not in the past. Greater days are ahead, but here's what it's going to take. It's going to take everyone identifying the excuses that we're making, being honest, hearing the word of the Lord, rebuild, rebuild, 
rebuild. You know, speaking of constructing projects, I don't want to surprise you. In the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be sharing, and we should have already had it, talk about construction delays. We've been planning since we've taken over the lease of the space. God has given us this unique opportunity to lease everything over here, over that way. And before we were, you know, doing it as an event center, we were just had Sundays. We were very limited. God has opened the doors for us to manage and steward this space seven days a week. And, and with it, we realize we've got some adjustments that we need to make, like that we couldn't, literally we couldn't make before because it wasn't in our ability to do. Um, the bathrooms are not awesome. I know I'm surprising you by saying that. They're not, and they're just, they're not uh, shaped right. They're not, they're not enough, especially when we do larger gatherings and, and other events. It, it's way too small. That side room where your kids are, they're all in one room. Uh, but we really need three rooms. We need dividable wa- walls, depending on what's happening, so we could do simultaneous classes. You could be come to a gathering and then go to a more in-depth class afterwards. Our kids could be in a better space. And as we do events for other reasons, for things in the city that have to do with Jesus and are just good for the community, that we can host people. We want to become the most welcoming people in our city. We want to. We want this to be a place. Not not that it's about the building, but we want a home where the city is welcome and is here. And in it, we're showing and sharing the love of Jesus. That's what we want this place to be, right? But it's taken forever. We finally have the architectural designs that we should have had it a couple of months ago, but just delays. And uh, in the next few weeks and months, we're going to be sharing with you as our church on what it's going to take to make this the most welcoming space where it's better for us as a church, but really it's, a, it's an engine for us to bless our, our city. More on that in, in the weeks to come. I just didn't want to surprise you because, man, it just delay, delay, delay. And then suddenly, hey, guys, it's going to happen now. We're hoping to start as early as January. And we've just been delayed on getting the permits and all that, and we're almost there. All right, jumping back, though, to excuses that we make. Um, it's, it's easier to disengage from church than to re-engage fully. I, I, I get that. I think the last couple of years, 19 months to be exact, has given us the opportunity to disengage from things because we were away for so long. But now I'm asking you to ask yourself the question, are you fully engaging with God's people or are you half in? It's easier to to stay at home than, than to come and be here in the space and serve. It's easier to come and receive then, then give. It's always easier to complain than contribute. And I'm just wondering, this is this, we, need, we need to test ourselves. I'm, I'm asking myself, what excuses am I making? Now, a little bit of a nuance, and I have to talk to our friends who are at home. I am not in any way suggesting, and there's no, this isn't the time for finger pointing about you should be here. Many for good medical reasons. I, I met a couple after our previous gathering that was their first time here. They're the ones who corrected me in 19 months. And they were both in a medical condition that made it very difficult to be here. And they finally, finally, finally feel like, okay, now they can do it. And they're re-engaged. And that, that's right and good. And we need to honor that. And hear me, we need to think the best in our brother and sister, not the worst. We need to give people the benefit of the doubt rather than a judgmental finger. But having said that, I have noticed a trend where it's like, 
You, you can be engaged, but brunch at home and catch it when I want to catch it sounds more attractive. And I just need to say that that sounds a lot like what happened to God's people in the past. And it's easier to work on your own paneled house and your own crops and your own and your own and your own. And at the end, what happens if you're not careful, if we don't ask the Spirit of God to check us and check our heart and check our motivation. Remember, those who are moved by God, God moved their heart and they got involved in the project. But those whose, God, whose hearts God had moved also stopped. That's the scary part. They started well and ended poorly until the word of the Lord came. I mean, it is always going to be easier to scroll social media than read your Bible. It is always going to be easier to watch another Netflix show than to engage in some time with God by yourself or with some other people. My honest concern in this season is that if we're not careful, we're going to let the craziness of the pandemic give us a list of excuses why we can't do things that God clearly wants us to do. And erode the spiritual practices of ongoing rhythms with God because our, our calendars have been shattered. We rebuild our calendars in unhealthy ways. And there's no longer room for God or priority of God's work in this world. And so I'm, I'm asking us to rethink about the word of God through Haggai. Give careful thought to your ways. Uh, and God is so loving and good that he puts us in positions where we have to ask, why is this happening? I just wonder, what excuses might you be making? In the middle of all that's gone on, yes, it's been hard, but we could still press into Jesus together. And, and frankly, when you think of the calendar of the week, how much time do we think it would take to live a healthy life in growing in closeness to Jesus and his people and being used by God in his world. How much time would that take? For some of us, an hour and a half a week is a sacrifice. I just want us to think about that. An hour, an hour and I think this is just the beginning. This is not the end. I don't, I don't believe that this is all Jesus is requiring of us. I, I think he's asking us for daily time in his presence, moment by moment throughout the day and connecting with people in community life and service, I, I think. But, but, but honestly, for some, like, this is like, whoa, I don't know if I could, I don't know if I could do church in this season. And we wonder why we live so dissatisfied sometimes. I think if we focus on the wrong thing, we will get the wrong result. But the good news, in, conversely, is that we focus on the right one, we will see fulfilled lives. Take a photo or write this down because it's just my conviction. To emerge brighter, we need to name our excuses together and resist the temptation to live distracted from God's mission. Bottom line. If we want to emerge brighter, like more full of the Holy Spirit, more active in God's work in the world, more joy, more pleasure in seeing God work in and through you, we got to name the excuses together and resist the temptation to live distracted. This is why we're doing this during, I waited this series for when we would be in our community sessions because I think this is best uh, lived out when we name these together. 
One where honest, not with a group of 100 or two, but a group of five or six. And we're honest enough to say, hey, during this season, I think these things are excuses I'm making, but I'm asking you together to pray with me and encourage me so that together, and I'll do the same for you. And so what specific things is Jesus calling you to step into that you've not started yet? What things is he calling you to step into, press into, that you slowed down, where now you see it like, oh, I wasn't supposed to. Now, there are other times where Jesus is saying, stop it. What things are you supposed to stop? Because Jesus is saying enough is enough. Good things that he's saying to stop. Whatever it is, the Holy Spirit is with us. Process this together with a few people and then encourage one another because the goal is never finger pointing. God speaks a word to his his people to bring them back to joy. And when they return, they celebrate Passover and the temple's done and, and they've lived up to the thing that God had called them to. You'll never find pleasure as deep as fulfilling the things that God is calling you to. There's no greater pleasure than being involved in what he is authoring, not what you're authoring. Uh, Seek first the kingdom of God, says Jesus, and the rest of the stuff will be added. Food and clothes and care will come when we prioritize Jesus. And that's according to Jesus in Matthew 6. Okay, so... Where do, we, where do we go from here? There's always going to be opposition around us, but I'm convinced the greatest challenge that we have to face right now in our moment as a church are excuses that we're making. So we're going to pray, Lord, help us. Help us to follow you with everything. All right, let's, um, let's ask him now. I'm going to invite you to stand if you would, and we're going to respond with communion. We're going to remember Jesus who who made a way for us to be right with God. Jesus, the fulfillment of everything these ancient brothers and sisters were building into was all leading to Jesus, the ultimate and perfect sacrifice for our sin once for all. And so, God, thank you that these people in centuries past heard the word and made the course correction and followed through God. Now, now we want to be those kind of people, Lord. We want to be the kind of people who follow you with everything so that generations after us will hear the message of Jesus and be transformed. God, we want to live for things that are beyond our own human years. We want to invest our lives in in what really matters, Lord. We really do. God, we confess our deepest desire is to follow you, but we have all these other competing desires, God. And, And the desire for a flashier this and a more comfortable that. They're competing against what you want to do in our heart, Lord. So your kids are coming, not not expecting a rebuke, Lord, but words of life. Lord, speak words of life to your sons and daughters now, I pray. Holy Spirit of God, uh, even for those who are watching in real time or later on, Lord, that you would you would touch us in the deepest places and expose uh, excuses, lies, half-truths, whatever it is that are keeping us, Lord, from following you with all of our heart and soul, mind and strength. And Lord, we want to release these to you so that we could be like these ancient 
brothers and sisters and, and get back to work and rebuild and do our part, Lord, so that your name would be honored in Hillsboro and that many more would follow you, we pray. God, do it, Lord, in all of our hearts so that we would follow after you.